Hello, and welcome to Notes from the Conservatory, a podcast from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. I'm your host, Richard Cooper. This podcast chronicles conversation and interviews with our faculty, students, and guest artists. Our second episode is a conversation between Jeff Jarvis, our Director of Jazz Studies, and George Stone, who is a composer and music educator. Jeff Jarvis is a Yamaha-sponsored trumpeter, a composer, jazz educator, and music publisher. He has been the music director of the Central New York Jazz Orchestra and is a former vice president of the International Association for Jazz Educators. Jarvis has played on over 100 albums for artists like Lou Rawls and the OJs. He has played with Dizzy Gillespie, Henry Mancini, Doc Severinsen, and many, many more. George Stone attended Cal State Northridge, where he became a member of the jazz band and by age 18 was leading his own big band. After college, Stone taught instrumental music at Hart High School and now teaches at Custa College in San Luis Obispo. He is an adjudicator and clinician at several jazz festivals and is also a member of the California Music Educators Association and the California Band Directors Association. Here is Jeff Jarvis and George Stone. Hi, this is Jeff Jarvis. I'm Director of Jazz Studies at Cal State Long Beach, the Bob Cole Conservatory. And we're here today doing a podcast with composer, arranger, trumpeter, pianist and jazz educator George Stone, who will be uh, in concert with us on Sunday at 4 p.m. at the Daniel Recital Hall. That would be on April 26th. And we've been preparing for that concert in rehearsals today, some more rehearsals tomorrow, and also doing a master class on jazz arranging that George will present. And I'm sure that we're going to have a nice turnout for that and uh, learn a lot tomorrow. So it's great to be here with you, George. Hey, thanks, Jeff. That was really nice introduction. I appreciate that. You know, I mean, I think everybody knows that I came from Cal State Northridge, and um, and I know, you know, we, it's a rival university, but all that aside, all of us who came through these California State University-type setups uh, were very fortunate because they were very strong with their music programs. And I went to Northridge just because it was convenient for me. I only lived 15 minutes away. And of course, now, if you went to the exact same location, because I, I grew up and was raised in Newhall, if you traveled, it would take you like an hour to get there. <laughs> but um, the universities uh, were providing these excellent music programs and training grounds, uh, not unlike what we have here at uh, Cal State Long Beach. But back then, they were training us to be studio players. Um, I guess the majority of us who went into those types of things had always dreamt that we would either be on a road band, like at the time during the 80s, obviously there were still big bands available, Probably at least at least ten big bands. If you could make it on there, that was one of your goals. But also LA studio work, uh, live television, commercials, uh, movies, shows, and that was plentiful. There was an A list, a B list, a C list, a D list. You know, there's many lists. And and today, while a portion of that still exists and it operates the same way, it's just not as plentiful, quite simply. And so if you now teach a program that just does that, like having students go, okay, well, here's, we want you to become great musicians so you can be studio players. Well, that's not very realistic today. You have to kind of build your own sphere of influence and they have to come up with as many of the tools possible in order to do that. And that's what I sense with this band right. here, right. is that you've got a lot of different facets you're teaching the musicians. You're making sure that they're paying attention to, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, and that when they leave here, they're going to be as equipped as possible. You know, and there's no guarantees, mm -hmm. you know, but the musicianship here is just stunning. Well, I tell them there's not as much studio work as there used to be because much of it has gone overseas and for various reasons, most of it having to do with economics. 
uh, being able to get players of quality that would where the money is good, but they're not paying the, the benefits and so forth. So the, the movie houses are taking it over to Prague and other places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's still there's still a lot of great opportunities. But when, when a student or their parents are in my office saying, why should he get a jazz studies degree? Why should my son go to study jazz? Is there a lot of money in jazz? I said, no, but jazz is a place where you can learn, you know, to train your left and your right side of your brain <laughs> yeah. in music. And mm-hmm. and if you are a good jazz player, chances are you're going to be able to adapt quickly to other types of music or you've come into contact with it already. So when you go as a jazz player to play a Broadway show, you're better equipped than a, somebody who's been just studying their trumpet excerpts. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And then having the flexibility, especially with saxophonists being doublers and stuff, you know, if they can play those shows, mm. they're going to be making a lot more money by being good doublers. Right. But the fact is, is that there just is not as much work today in most professional arenas for, for musicians. So it's harder for them. They, I understand the doubt that they can have. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm a really good player, but so is those hundred people standing there too, you know. And I guess I guess it's just the sign of the times. That's where we're at this point. Well, I think you know? the students are a lot more savvy than we were in a lot of ways. Yeah, too. well, we were trying true. to become burning players. You know, we want to be great players and get studio work or get on a tour, do what have you. Nowadays, the students, even though they're using jazz as the vehicle to get better, and we're trying to push that on them because it is a very difficult music to play well. They're more mindful of the business side of the music business than we were. They're establishing great websites. They're making sure that they purport themselves properly, that they have the right look. You know, that's something we never thought of. I mean, I just... Well, I mean, geez. I mean, we all, we looked great, right? Well, you 30 years ago, me more like 45 (laughs) years ago. Well, wait a second (laughs) now. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, you look pretty good now. But the the whole deal is, I, I mean, I I can remember uh, you were talking about a baritone saxophone player this morning, a very tall one, and yes. he went into a one of the cattle calls for a, a tour for I think it was for Justin Timberlake or something like that, and he was going to the registration desk to sign in, and they said, no 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 no, you're too tall. Oh, they hadn't even heard him play. <laughs> wow. But he didn't have the look, and he they were thinking about how they were going to dress him for the tour. Yeah. And so. I think the students nowadays, in at least in the in the L.A. area, realize this, and they're kind of gearing themselves toward that type of a career, or gearing themselves to have that clean all-American look, so they can go work at Disney or do what yeah. have you. I think they're a lot more savvy because we were just buried in music, and they're figuring out how to build a career and survive. Yeah, and and, and we have to guide them obviously as far as being dependable and punctual and so forth and well-rounded well that's all anyway all that stuff is evident i know we've been talking about the students but they're they're what's making this concert go yeah you know i'm not playing any notes you're not playing any notes and they're they're awesome so um anyway you run a great program here Uh, i hope everyone at the university i'm sure they do they support and recognize your efforts and they see the proof in the pudding so to speak, and um, you know, you're to be commended for that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. that a lot. Hey, you know, before we um, wrap up, I just wanted to take things back a little bit further than when you were in in college, uh, when you were at Hart High School, for instance. Oh gosh, yeah. I've had uh, conversations when I was adjudicating with ex-band directors of yours who would tell me things like, oh, he was like that when he was in high school. You know, so obviously you had a very You mean keen... my drinking problem? No, no. no. You, had, no you had a very no, keen no. interest in the music from <laughs> okay. early on and were, yeah. were, 
your mind was working at a, at a level that was far beyond what most high school kids are doing. When did you first get interested in, in actual you know, writing and, and arranging? And how did that come about? Um, well, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good question, and I appreciate you asking that. I'm one in a lineage, of course, you know, but since the focus is on George Stone, okay, I'll speak to that. But I, there have been many before me, and there are many that came after. But, um, yeah, I think it was a little unique in that at age 12, um, I started at age 10 playing, trying to play trumpet, you know, going to beginning band and things like that. And, um, but it came pretty easy for me. Uh, within, uh, I don't know, within a month's time, the director had taken me from the uh, beginning band and put me in the advanced band at the junior high level. And I didn't even go to the junior high back then. And I'll, I'll try to keep this as brief as I can because we don't want to go through this long history. But quite simply, I think that if I saw that today from a 10-year or 11-year-old person that could play through the first three beginning band books within a couple weeks, I would that would send up a red flag. That would go okay. Well, maybe we have something here. You know, we're all we, we're always looking for those mm. people. You know, yeah. so I would bicycle over to the junior high school and play in that band from like seven thirty to eight thirty, and then I'd bicycle back to the elementary school where I was supposed to be, and I'd be there from nine o'clock till whatever. But that said, um, within a matter of a year's time, I was uh, starting to scribble things down. You know, so by, I'm going to say about eleven. I would borrow the scores from the junior high director. Now, I didn't know how to read a score or anything, but I knew that there were lots of notes on there and I wanted to know why they were there and how they functioned and things like that. So I would I would sit at the piano, which back then we only had a pump organ, and that helped. Actually, there's a reason why I mention this, because it, it on a pump organ, as soon as you let go, or any organ, as soon as you let go of the notes, they disappear. So I trained my fingers to catch all of the notes of, for example, a chord that was voiced out for all the parts in the concert band, and I would I would then hold on to them and build them until I could go to the next one. So you could see the chord setup. I oh, could wow. see the chord setup. That's right. And uh, and then I started to figure out what a seventh was and what a ninth, uh, you know, extension or whatever. And I and I still didn't quite know all the terminology, but I knew what I liked to hear. And I knew I'd been listening to jazz since I was five years old. I mean, literally, I put the headphones on, and one day I put an eight track. Again, we're dating ourselves, but I put an eight track tape in. And I just let that thing roll till I fell asleep. And I just would do that every night. And uh, I little did I know I was listening to charts by Micah Benny, uh, and Willie Maiden. It was Maynard Ferguson, but those were the writers back then, you know. And uh, I was being treated to Shorty Rogers. I was uh, hearing uh, charts by Henry Mancini, those types of people. And I didn't know who they were, but somewhere they were storing in the young brain. I would not be able to do what I do now without that early exposure. So it was early. It wasn't, um, you know, I didn't come out of the womb doing that, but it was early enough. And so by the time I was about 13, I had written a couple larger ensemble, like maybe, you know, a combination of horns, brass, and sax, as I learned how to transpose them. And probably by about age 14, I had written my first big band chart. It was an arrangement, and it actually it holds water even to today <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know I know that's kind of hard to believe but it's I when you when you write something that young you know you kind of discard it because you grow older and you just go well I don't want to touch anything from when I was a kid you know that stuff's bogus but 35 years later I pulled the chart out I, I'm gonna probably solve a few issues in terms of its penmanship but basically 99% of the notes are still gonna be there I'm gonna publish the doggone thing yeah, good <laughs> you know so it was early, and then I had a great time coming through the Hart District. That's uh, Santa Clarita Valley, New Hall area. 
I had a wonderful director by the name of Larry Thornton who um, uh, guided me. He's an excellent mentor. He uh, was my high school band director, as dear a friend as you could possibly have, the whole family, her, he and his wife. Then I also started attending the concerts at College of the Canyons, which was led by Dirk Fisher. And of course, we're doing one of Dirk's mm -hmm. arrangements for Christine yep. on a concert. I liked being there so much, and eventually I got into that band as a trumpet player. And the rest kind of followed a natural progression. I became better and better at what I did. I tried, tried to keep working on my craft. And then Larry, my band director, introduced me to Joel Leach over at uh, Cal State Northridge. And Gary Pratt was on the prowl at that point, too. <laughs> Great guys, by the way. Joel, Joel's retired, and I think Gary is just now starting to retire. He's starting to, yeah. Yeah, um, but great guys. And, of course, they were recruiting, and they knocked on the door, and I knocked on their door. And then we had a four- or five-year relationship after that at Cal right. State Northridge. So it's been a charmed existence in that regard. I had tons of support, and I had tons of... Uh, exposure. I felt like I had all the time in the world to just keep working on my craft. Yeah. The, the interesting thing, though, is that five years later, after I got my degree, I went back to teach at Hard High School. And so I ran that band for eight years and, and wow. took it to a different level. And, uh, you know, we, we eventually, that band, boy. And now, of course, it's here, you know, 25 years later, now it's still a strong music department. Yeah. A young instructor by the name of Anthony Bailey runs yep. a program there. So, Well, you mentioned the, um, you called it a rivalry between... Um, Cal State Northridge and Cal State Long Beach, oh. but I will say it's probably, there is a little bit of a... Uh, it's healthy. <laughs> it's, it's a healthy com competition because we're very similarly priced uh, universities, being in the CSU system, have strong jazz programs, and we're vying for the same students yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. So, I mean, I even had an hour-long conversation with a student the other day saying, okay, Matt Harris says that if I do, you know, and his program does this, and he says, your program does that. What is your program doing? What do you think of the way Northridge does? I said, I'm not going to sit here and give you opinions yeah. on, yeah, on what hard. they do because I'm not in that program. I just know that Matt's a great director. He's been one of my writers in my for my publishing company for many years. So is Bob Mincer at USC and and. For my money, those are three very strong jazz programs, yeah. and three good, you know, two good friends running them. So I, I really feel that, although it, you may look like a rivalry, I when somebody says, you know, I've decided I'm I'm going to go to Northridge, I say you're going to get a great education there. You know? Yeah, and you, you know, know what, and that's that's and, that's that's very. And true. I'm sure I'm hoping that you know, and I, I shouldn't say hoping. I think that Matt and Gary feel the same, and Bob Mincer feels the same over at USC. Uh, they're going to get in a, a good experience. It's just going to be a, a different type of experience, and it's going to find you know you just need to find out which one is the best fit. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I agree. But I am so happy to be in an environment where there's that many good jazz programs around because it means we've got a lot of young players in this area that have a chance of succeeding because they've been properly trained. Yeah, I'll agree with that for sure. Plus, yeah. we know that at least the style and the idiom is going to continue for at least for at least another 10 years <laughs> or maybe another 20. I you know. So. Well, yeah, you know, because it's you and I and those before us, we've invested so much time into the art form and everything has an expiration date. There's no doubt about it. And if we didn't continue to, to do what we do, and have the next crop of players come in and be thrilled by it and want to continue it as well. It would have died a long time ago. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I think I'm going to sum up. I'm going to sum up the the rivalry thing was that Gordon uh, Gordon Goodwin, who by the way you'd you'd said earlier, you said that uh, you know well it's, you know it's hard to make money playing uh, doing jazz, but Gordon has he's managed, managed to find a way to do <laughs> he's it. He's managed to make a million bucks. He is <clears throat> he is marketing 
Yeah. Big band jazz. He is. There's no doubt about it. And Gordon's a good friend. He was t- 10, 11 years before me at Northridge. So mm-hmm. I knew about Gordon and I kind of wanted to be Gordon, you know. Was, uh, but anyway, um, he had summed it up by saying, you know, there was this rivalry between Long Beach and Cal State Northridge even back then. It was Northridge had the really super tight ensemble, but Cal State Long Beach had all these killer individual players and soloists and so you know the emphasis back then in the 70s and 80s was to have an ensemble that was just super tight and very studio like and that's we go back to that again and long beach's emphasis might you know i'm not taking anything away from long beach but it was was a little freer yeah to john prince and stuff like that so it was a little more free so when we'd go to these quote-unquote band bake-offs um, <clears throat> did I say that? You did. Um, yeah. A competition, uh, you know, competitive event. Yeah, I, I never enjoyed the competitiveness. I, I, I didn't think you could assign a number to music. But anyway, all that said was that um, the Northridge band would, you know, come out on top of yeah. these sort of things. Yeah. But those of us in Northridge band would be hearing the Long Beach band going, did you hear that tenor player? <laughs> Holy smokes! Did you, did you hear that trombone? Oh, that trombone solo was Annie Martin. Oh, I didn't, you know, or whoever, you know. Yeah. And it was the next crop of amazing players, and um, so there was that kind of rivalry. And I think that that was correct in what Gordon had said. And it, it, but it's not the case now. Now we have killer soloists in your band. Holy Toledo! They're tearing. You got two tenor players that are tearing it up, and then and then you've got an ensemble that when I counted off. Not only does it play in with good time, but the articulation is there, the, uh, the the depth of the note is there, the length of the note is there. Oh my gosh, it's all there now. So, and, and not not taking anything away from my buddy Matt Harris. I love Northridge, by the way, Matt. I love Northridge. Yeah, go Matadors. But you know what I mean. It's it's now, it's like you have everything here, and it's awesome. <laughs> well. Sure, appreciate it. Appreciate you taking the time to do this uh, podcast with us. It's been a lot of fun talking about our feelings about uh, jazz education, and we're sure glad that you're a part of it. Thank you, Jeff. I'm I'm glad to be here, and thanks to uh, Long Beach, uh, Cal State Long Beach, and the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music. This has been Notes from the Conservatory from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. Thanks for listening.